As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business owner, how do you handle communications to leverage your sales and marketing and sustainable messages at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 14, season 6 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, I'm delighted to have Ian Roberts of Maui. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks for having me, Lourdes. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Ian is Maui's Director of Communications for Scotland, Ireland, and Canada. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and Media Studies from Royal Rose University. Maui ASA is one of the largest seafood companies in the world and the world's largest producer of Atlantic salmon. The company employs 11,500 people and is represented in 25 countries. In 2022, the company had a turnover of 4.9 billion euros. Maui is listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange and its share also trades on the U.S. OTC market. Welcome again to the show, Ian. Thank you. Thanks. Looking forward to the discussion. So let me ask you by actually knowing, how did you get into this industry? I know you've been a salmon farmer before, but I'm sure it's before that. <laughs> yeah, it was actually. It was in the 80s. I had a love and passion for aquaculture, but it was tropical fish. It was aquariums. And I was making a little money on the side in high school, breeding some tropical fish. And the whole sustainability piece came up around then. People were looking for specific types of species of fish, including the clownfish, which became uber popular, you know, given the Finding Nemo movies. And there's a real discussion then in the aquaculture and aquarium trade about sustainability. Can we continue to keep taking these wild species, these tropical species, and having them as tropical pets, basically? And then there was a discussion about needing to breed them. And I found this very interesting. And then I watched an episode of, actually, it was The Nature of Things with Dave Suzuki, ironically, and he was speaking about salmon farming and salmon aquaculture, and it was the same premise, really. It's that, you know, for many decades, we had taken too many fish, and now we have to think about doing something different, and that was aquaculture. So he had me at aquaculture. Shortly after I entered into college in Ontario, it was mainly a conservation program around restocking fish in Sir Sanford Fleming College. It was and got my aquaculture diploma. Later in my career, I got my degree in communications because I was fascinated with the discussion happening around 
specifically salmon farming in BC, but aquaculture generally on how so a lot of people I don't think quite understood the business, understood why aquaculture was a thing. And I was quite excited to help kind of explain that to the masses, which is still an ongoing project and, and a challenge, as you know. Very fascinating. So I will call you I've been in the aquaculture industry now because of my association with my husband, but you're one of those aquaman <laughs> that actually started in aquaculture before everybody else did. So as an early adapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were many great pioneers before me, though. I was in college in 1990. So there were still the 80s ahead of me when there was many, many pioneers that probably had to mortgage the house to keep the salmon farm going and, and figure things out. So we have a, a lot to owe to the generation even ahead of me. But yeah, 30 years I've been in the business now and I'm still fascinated by it. Yes, three decades is a long time and the aquaculture industry is still a very much sunrise industry, I must say. Yeah, it really is. But, you know, we have one heck of an opportunity here in Canada with one of the longest coastlines in the world, lots of fresh water and freshwater lakes as well. We really should be a leader in aquaculture. And I'm surprised, you know, it's 2023 as we record this. And we, I think, have dragged our heels a bit. And I don't think we collectively as a country have taken the opportunity those to the south in America, in the U.S., it's even worse. I mean, they're importing 85% of their seafood into the country, and they really haven't really started their aquaculture program yet. So we're ahead of those to the south, but far behind many other countries in the world. But the, op the word opportunity is, is, is what I like to use. And even if that opportunity is realized 20 years from now, then the work we're doing today to start to look at new species and communicate aquaculture and try to set government policy so it's supportive of aquaculture is important groundwork to do today. So the next generation and the next generation can benefit from the work we've done. It seems that that's the theme that's emerging for me last week and this week. This morning, I was just talking to somebody who's a sustainability practitioner, defining sustainability as having enough for everyone forever. And so in terms of timeline, forever or infinite timing, we're in that traction if we're talking about global opportunity in aquaculture, which leads me to my next question. You were doing the aquaculture showcase for a while there, I guess less than a quarter ago. And so would you like to share with our audience, what's your biggest takeaway from that event in relation to the non-renewal of the farm license decision currently? Yeah, well, there's two things there and two important things, which I'm disappointed that I have to talk about it, is the non-renewal of licenses in, in the Discovery Islands in British Columbia. But to support aquaculture in Canada and the growth of aquaculture, we actually took all salmon producers and much of the value chain technology support to Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, along with First Nation partners that are in support of aquaculture along the coast. And we met in Ottawa and had many meetings with key people. And we had an aquaculture technology showcase that night where several hundred people showed up and with all the suppliers there and all great discussions about the opportunity we have for aquaculture. Unfortunately, you know, because of the recent decisions in British Columbia around the licensing and non-renewals, you know, it clouded the conversation. There was much discussion around opportunity, but much frustration as well about how decisions today seem to be based on political risk and ignoring science and Canada's own science. And also, as we found out from our First Nation 
friends along the coast that, that do aquaculture today, that rights and title have been ignored in these decisions as well. So it's disappointing. And you can see after actually the aquaculture showcase in Ottawa, there was the mention last week of a judicial review that was launched by the three salmon producing companies, of which Moe, my company, was one along with two First Nations in the Discovery Islands region that felt that the decision was unfair, unjust, and unlawful. And we're looking for a judicial review in the Supreme Court to try to sort out why that decision was made so we can, you know, importantly, have business discussions in Canada about the future. It's hard to plan a business, and especially aquaculture, and and you who do gooey duck, you know, that's a 10-year commitment. You need to know that you have the commitment from your country and your province and your regulators as well. So when it comes harvest time, you can harvest your crop. The Discovery Islands decision, you know, occurred in 2020 and created a lot of harm. I mean, there have been hundreds of jobs lost, and these are young careers very educated people that have had to leave the area looking for other opportunity. Many of those, including Indigenous partners as well, and and some of my Indigenous colleagues. And, you know, we also had to euthanize millions of fish. I can't imagine another food sector that would accept an abrupt loss of their license, especially when you are checking all the boxes for what you were supposed to do up until that point. You know, we had First Nation support in the local area where we farmed. The science clearly suggested that there is minimal risk from salmon farming. We had additional certification and the licenses were removed. And when in salmon farming, you have a five-year cycle you obviously have fish, you know, ready to go to saltwater in that cycle. And the minister's decision made us cull, euthanize millions and millions of fish. So jobs lost, fish culled, which is food that wasn't served at the table. And both ministers, there's been a couple of ministers since that 2020 decision, have had an opportunity to correct the decision and and look at the science and, and speak to all stakeholders and consult with First Nations, as is their right and they haven't done so in our opinion. So we're back to court to try to make sense of it all, which is disappointing and and really diverts an important conversation in Canada about aquaculture and this future-looking business. You know, we can look at what this country is going to be like in the next decade or two, but it's difficult when you don't seem to have the assurance from your country that they have your back and they support aquaculture. We hear they support aquaculture, but their actions definitely say different. So yeah, that was a bit of the conversation in Ottawa as well. But I would say we all took the opportunity to talk about the opportunity in Canada to produce more food and be a world leader in aquaculture production. It sure was a sad story. And as you know, aquaculture has just been gaining tractions in terms of not just the aquaculture, but the whole seafood industry and that investors are finally getting aware in terms of what opportunity this industry brings. And then Canada to be able to be behind, despite the pristine waters that we have here is really tragic, to say the least. Yeah, imagine being a business owner and trying to be confident in your investment. It has chilled investment. It's chilled 
the supply chain, just wondering what can be done. And in this other side conversation about a transition process, looking in British Columbia to quote unquote transition the business, there's still no definition of what that is, what that may be. We know a goal is to minimize interaction between wild and farm raised fish, which we've been looking to do for decades because it's it's also a risk to our fish as well on the farm. So we were investing and have been investing in technology that might help minimize this interaction. But when there's doubt on the future, it really chills that investment and it makes the transition itself very difficult when you don't have the investment behind you. So we certainly hope common sense will prevail. I'll just be blunt. It's very difficult when you have perhaps a party that's running the country, a prime minister and a fisheries minister that seem to be ideologically opposed to salmon farming specifically. And that's a very difficult conversation to have. It is. And I'm very much positive about the future. So I believe that when there's a breakdown, there's a breakthrough that's coming soon. So hopefully we can see that breakthrough pretty soon. (laughs) I love your positivity. Keep it up. (laughs) And I'd like to ask one last question, then maybe you can give perspective in terms of sharing with our audience Maui's sustainable strategy that you call Blue Revolution Plan. The Blue Revolution Plan was launched a few years ago now, and online people can search it and find it and see exactly what it's about. But really, it's it's about maximizing the use of the ocean in a sustainable way for our benefit. And it's a triple win. It's, you know, producing a food that's healthy, so it's good for people. It's good for the planet because it's a climate-friendly food source. As, as we know, salmon and, and many species in aquaculture is a very, very sustainable choice. In fact, our company has received four years in a row the Caller Fair top ranking for sustainable protein producer. And this is all the biggest companies, including you know cattle, dairy, and other meats. And aquaculture and salmon aquaculture specifically ranks extremely high on that Caller Fair index. I think the top 10, seven of them are salmon farming companies. So choosing seafood and salmon is a very good choice for the planet. And also, it's important for the economy. So you've got the healthy food, you've got the climate-friendly product, and you've got the economies up and down coastlines that look for this diversity in their economy. I was fortunate about 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago now, to visit Klemtu, which is the home of the Kittisu First Nation, Kittisu Hehe First Nation. And they had a salmon aquaculture program in the 80s that... They were looking to expand to kind of compete with world production, and they invited our company to come in. And seeing the impact that salmon aquaculture and salmon farming has had on that community is you you have to be there to feel it. I mean, you know, it employs 50 or 60 people that walk with a sense of pride, that go to work every day, whether it's in the smoking plant or out on the farms or in the support vessels. And I'm really, really proud to have started the bigger aquaculture program with them that still 30 years later is going. So, you know, you can see how it sustains their economy. And when we talk about sustainability, many people think it's environmental sustainability. That's what people concentrate on. But there is social sustainability and the economic sustainability as well that that is important. So we hope to nurture the ocean and continue to nurture the ocean to realize it's a 
triple win for people's health, for the economy, and for choosing climate-friendly food. Thanks, Ian. The biggest takeaway I have from our conversation today was when you were talking about having the First Nation partners and then being able to actually work into having a sustainability index that actually measures what the company is doing so that people can feel a little bit more supportive because they don't really see the big picture. A lot of the information that we have is online and the hearsay, or maybe they get to investigate, but really doesn't have the full perspective of what's happening. So my hope for this industry is to work collaboratively as a whole community of aquaculturists saying one voice that we are in this together because we have to feed the planet. Absolutely. I hope for the same as well. And yeah, it's it's much bigger than salmon. I mean, I'm, I'm a salmon guy, but it's a small percent of the world's production of seafood, let alone aquaculture. So you're right. We all need to collaboratively work together in fisheries and in aquaculture. There is just a huge appetite for seafood globally, and it's not farmed or wild. It's farmed and wild, and we all need to be working together to push it forward. It's an exciting future, and this is just the beginning, so this is fun. It really is, and together we'll support SDG number 17. Take a look at that, which is partnerships compared to just focusing on number 14, which is life below water, because I think now that communities are thriving, I like your story about the clam too nation because that's a track record of three decades of work being done in the industry. So thank you again, Ian. How can they get in touch with you? Oh, easiest way is probably LinkedIn. I'm on there and I play around with it a bit. So if anybody wants to reach out, LinkedIn is the spot. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate you. And then to all our audience, remember to leave a review of the podcast. I will see you next week. Thanks again, Ian. Take care. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.